I'll give you some examples. When we put salesy posts out there, that's just like, hey, 20% off our eBooks today, it's, it's like no engagement at all. But if I put a really heartfelt post, and I kind of have this four-step system on how I write very vulnerable posts that get massive engagement, where I start off with like the raw, real emotion, and then I go back into like showing myself some grace, relating it to another time, maybe where I felt the same way, and then the four-step is the most important. You are now entering a new paradigm. So here is my issue. I wanted to find the answers to life's biggest questions. Things like, how do I become happy and live with purpose? How do I make more money doing what I love? And what does it mean to be truly successful in all areas of life? My name is Josh Forty, at Josh Forty on Instagram, and I ask life's biggest questions and share the answers with you. My goal is to help you find purpose, happiness, and open your mind to new realms of possibility by helping you think differently about everything you do, know, and understand. On this podcast, we think different, we dream bigger, and we live in a world without limits. This is a new paradigm. Welcome to the Think Different Theory. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Think Different Theory. My name is Josh Forty, and oh, yes, yes, yes. It's another interview podcast. I'm so excited. We have a very special guest with us on today. As you guys know, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, we only bring on people that I actually want to talk to that actually have a, like a reason for being on the podcast. I absolutely hate podcasts that just interview people for the sake of interviewing people, and I'm going to interview my way to success. I try to bring on interesting people, people with a story, people that can really help you with your mindset, really bring a fresh perspective. And our next guest is someone, she's, she's awesome. I met her, I think, I think the first time, well, I mean, I've, I've known about her for a while, but I think the first time I met her, met her was at Offer Mind. Were you at Offer Mind? Offer, I was, yes. You were at Offer So I think we met at Offer Mind officially for the first time. And then we got to hang out and actually like chat again at Offer Lab. And I've followed you ever since I met you, like actually followed you, followed you. Guys, it is the, the lady who has helped tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands, honestly, of women around the world. She has had a viral video of her peeing her pants. She has a social media presence of about a million people. She made... I was like three or four million dollars off of a, an ebook, like $67 ebook, something crazy. It is the incredible, the amazing Miss Natalie Hodson. Thank you for coming on the program. Well, thank you. That was quite the introduction. And before we get started, Josh, I just want to say thank you so much. I think what you're doing really matters and you're a different voice in this space than what we typically see and hear. And I think, you know, I followed you for a long time too, and your genuineness and your authenticity really shines. And I think that's what sets you apart. So I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate that. And uh, that means a lot. So that's what we try to do. That's what the podcast is all about and continue to spread that message of being genuine and really the whole concept of mindset. Actually, it's funny. I was supposed to go on a cruise with you on a yacht down to the Bahamas with Russell and all those stuff. Do you know the story why I wasn't there? Didn't you, like your passport photo was wrong or something? My passport. So when I got uh, my passport, I was under the age of 18. I went to Guatemala on a mission trip. I want to say I was maybe like 12 or 13 years old, something, something young. Well, I was not aware, I guess, that uh, when you get your passport under the age of 18, it expires after five years, not 10. So my passport was expired. And so I, I got online. I like 
sent Miles a, you know, like a message. I was like, dude, I need signed signatures from you of where I'm going. I paid like 500 bucks to get it expedited as fast as I could. And the fastest anybody could get it to me, even if I paid like 700 bucks, was one day after you guys oh, left. And I was like, no. So that was such a bummer. But uh, was it awesome? It was amazing. And we, you were there in spirit. <laughs> we, we talked about you. We sung your praises while you were, you were there. Oh, but yeah, thank it was you. Really you know, for me, because I got to speak on stage with Russell at 10X and then go to the mastermind after and just being around, you know, other people that are doing really cool things, other people who aren't afraid to fail and other people that are really like taking action every single day. That's those are the kind of people I love to surround myself with. So, yeah, it was cool. I learned a ton and got to network and, and it was amazing. It was beautiful. The, the, the boat made me a little bit seasick, though. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But okay. Well, so let's, let's dive into who you are a little bit though, because I mean, you're known in the ClickFunnels world, but I mean, you have a much larger female audience than anything else. A lot of our listeners probably don't know who you are, um, especially with now we just did a, a huge launch back in July, July 1st, um, where we brought in a ton of new listeners. So new audience there. Um, you have like kind of, I feel like you kind of have like two audiences. You've got this <laughs> this audience of who you serve and who you sell to and this community of amazing women that you help. And then you also kind of have this entrepreneur audience thanks to the Russell Brunson ClickFunnels world where you're like, I don't know, you're pretty famous in that, in that space. A lot of people know who you are. You've been on, you were at Funnel Hacking Live or on stage at Funnel Hacking Live. You're on stage at 10X. Like you're a big deal. So like give us, give us a little bit of background and we'll go into your backstory about you know, how you got to who you are. But like overview level, who are you? What do you do? Thank you. Well, I'm still just a normal person. I'm not like, a, you know, I mean, <laughs> Russell sings my, my, tells my story a lot, but so basically, um, I'm a, I'm a mom of two and, um, I always say I accidentally fell into the fitness space. So when I had my kids, I gained 70 pounds of both of them. I had 10 pound babies. So I was like, way Oh my there. gosh. And after I had my son, I really, um, I just started a blog as an online journal, just as a way for me to stay accountable. And I was a history major in college. You know, I didn't, I mean, I had been an athlete in college, but I didn't really know anything about the fitness industry. And uh, I like to cook. So I started taking unhealthy recipes and making them healthier. And I was putting them on Pinterest. And this was way, way back when Pinterest wasn't what it is now. I was taking like flip phone pictures and um, <laughs> oh my yeah. And I, but I started getting uh, tra quite a bit of traffic to my website, like 30,000 people a month. So I was like, gosh, wow. traffic, I might as well monetize it. So I went online, got like probably the easiest personal training certificate I could got, just so I wouldn't like get sued. And I started writing eBooks. So I put out some cookbooks and some training programs and it was going really well. I was married at the time. Um, I had these two little kids at home and was making, you know, the stay at home mom was making like hundred grand a year selling these eBooks. And That's I thought, awesome. this is great. And then fast forward a couple of years and I went through a divorce and, um, you know, the divorce took a long time and it was kind of messy. And, uh, by the time when we got it finalized, I had stopped selling everything. Cause I was like, I don't, I didn't know if I was going to have to split my business or how it was all going to shake out. And so when the divorce got final, it was an interesting time in my life because, I, I, I just remember, I mean, I was actually broke. Like I had like three months of, I had like three months of rent in my checking account. And, um, I, but I also was broken. You know, I remember thinking like, what, what value do I even have to offer somebody? Yeah. 
And um, that's when, but I had built this big audience, but I'd never spent a dime on Facebook ads. I had about half a million followers on Facebook, about 40,000 on Instagram. And um, I started, I kind of stumbled across this word funnels and I didn't know what funnels were at the time. And I thought it was like a kitchen gadget, you know? And so my personality, when I get excited about something, I just like geek out on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I actually have right here. I bought um, .com secrets. And I remember starting, like I started to read the book and I was like, oh my gosh, these are real secrets. And I pulled out a notebook and I'd read a page and I'd write in the notebook, how can I apply it to my business? And I flip the page and I'd write, how can I apply it to my business? And then I went to Russell's fat event and I learned what the word webinar meant. I'd never heard that word in my life. And um, I just started to geek out on internet marketing. And it was so cool because, you know, I always joke, hashtag do what Russell says, but like, that's really what I did. And so um, I just, I said, okay, what does my audience already want? And I looked at my Google analytics and the number one hit for blog posts was this weird word called diastasis recti, which is when women have babies, oftentimes their ab muscles separate and they don't always come back together properly. So they still kind of look pregnant and they can't really figure out why. And at the same time, a lot of women, when they have babies, if they laugh, cough, sneeze, jump on a trampoline, they accidentally pee their pants. And I had a friend who I'd gone to college with who had just gotten her PhD in a specific area. And um, so anyways, I remember it very vividly. I, I reached out to her the day after Thanksgiving and I said, I have this idea. I have all these women that are looking for answers on this topic. Nobody's talking about it because it's really embarrassing. And I have this video of me actually peeing my called Dollar Workout Club that we had modeled after Dollar Shave Club. And I did, I peed my pants on a, on a video and I wanted to take that video and like throw it in the garbage. I didn't want anybody to see that. And it, it, that was an accidental video there, right? Like you didn't stage the video of oh, at all. No, not right. at all. So um, I co-owned the company with Drew Manning who owns a brand called Fit to Fat Fit. And he wrote the workouts, all jumping exercises. And I just happened, I never wear gray shorts. I just happened to be wearing gray shorts. And it's like the most embarrassing video because at the beginning it's this little teeny dot and I was like I knew I was kind of peeing my pants but I we never cut when we filmed and then by the end of the video that dot gets bigger and bigger and bigger and by the I end I watched the video it, too I saw yeah. it yeah <laughs> my shorts are just covered and I'm like contorting my body at the end trying to like bye like trying to not show it and then we have b-roll at the end and it's like you peed your pants you know and so I really uh, so my doctor friend put me through this four week program and it completely fixed the problem. And I was like, Incredible. I know I struggled with this. So many other women do, but I had to really have a heart to heart with myself and say, Natalie, are you willing to tell the whole world that you, uh, used to pee your pants and the, the program almost didn't come out because I was almost too embarrassed, but we did. So we, we started talking about writing the book the day after Thanksgiving, we started writing it the day after Christmas and we launched it January 31st. So it was a month, a month, a month. And I did Russell's perfect webinar, condensed it into a Facebook live, ran Facebook, ran ads to it. And um, I remember it was 86 days after we launched it, we had hit half a million dollars in sales on a, 30, on a $37 ebook. In four months, we did a million dollars in sales on a $37 ebook. And it totally changed my life, you know? Yeah, it, no kidding. What was the what profit margin on that, right? 37 bucks, you had to be spending a little bit in Facebook ads. Right? Yeah. So at the beginning, I had this hot audience because I had never sold to my audience. I had never run ads. So we were acquiring customers cheap, like seven to eight dollars to acquire a customer. Um, obviously, that was like the glory days of Facebook. So now we're closer to like five, twenty six dollars. But 
Um, and then the doctor that I wrote it with also got a percentage of net profit too. So that wasn't all just straight to me, obviously, but, um, but yeah, but you make a million bucks. All this, I mean, like you're, and we'll talk about mindset and perspective and belief and like everything, but like, even if you make 200,000 profit out of a million dollars, you made a million dollars, right? You know what I mean? It's like, holy cow, you can do it. It changed my life. You know, I was able to buy a, so I'm a single mom, right? So I bought my pickup with cash. I was able to buy my house and it just transformed what I even believed was capable. And, yeah. you know, and then, and I didn't even know anything about upsells or, you know, we didn't really have anything in our upsell flow, which now we do, but, um, it was, it was crazy. And then it became a whole new set of problems because all of a sudden now I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's not just me and for my laptop anymore. I'm now running a multi-million dollar company. And I, I want to I want to pause you there though. Cause I, I don't want to get that far yet. I want to get to there at the, towards the end because okay. I have like so many things that you just touched on that I want to touch on first. Okay. Mm -hmm. The first thing that I want to touch on though, cause this is phenomenal because you've gone from this to now, what do you, what are you projected to do in revenue this year? Roughly? Do you think? Probably about three, somewhere between three and four million. So three and four million dollars. Roughly, how big's your team? Roughly, uh, I have ten part-time employees that work. Ten part-time employees, equivalent of what? Three or four full-time, probably. Yeah. Okay, so you got 10, 10 people that you're managing. You're going to do three to four million bucks this year. Let's back up though, because you said right at the beginning you're an average person, right? Yeah. And then you went on to say this whole thing almost didn't happen because you were almost too embarrassed, right? And it's funny because, you know, someone can look at you now and be like, well, that's not embarrassing at all. Look what it made you, right? But like, and it sounds like the most ludicrous thing in the world, but for the average human, right? That's a scary thought. What, like you've, you've been divorced and we'll probably touch on that a little bit, but you, you, you've gotten to this spot where you've made some decent money. Great, cool. Now you're divorced. You feel broken. You're at this place of like, I want to, I would imagine like, I got to turn my life around, right? Like I got to do something. I got to find something that like gets that burning desire. At least I know when I was in my broken state, it was like, I just need one thing that excites me about life. Right? So you get this, but the, the cost of potentially going and doing that is absolute embarrassment. What's going through your head at that time? Oh, it was so scary. I had the biggest vulnerability hangover you could ever imagine. So I put that video out there and literally my hand was like this trying to hit post. And then I couldn't look at the computer for like 30 minutes. Cause I was like, I might lose all my followers. Like, and I showed, I showed, I should That's not how the internet works, Natalie. <laughs> well, I know, but when what's interesting about, about, so I talk a lot about vulnerability now because it has worked for me a number of times, but it's interesting um, when you're the one being vulnerable, it makes you feel small and scared and almost unworthy. But it's interesting because to everybody else around you, it looks brave and courageous. And one of the interesting things that I've learned since and why it's easier for me to maybe be vulnerable now talking about the hard things is because vulnerability is like a magnet. Like people are drawn to that when you're truly vulnerable. Now there's a fine line between manipulating vulnerability because you think it might work to get followers or whatever and actually just genuinely being real and honest with people yeah and i think that's been the, the core of my whole entire brand and why it's really grown the way that it has is because what i'll start talking about things that people don't usually talk about you know we talked about when when i was one hundred seventy thousand dollars in student loan debt growing up with my mom in and out of prison my whole life i mean lots of hard things divorce dating after divorce, raising kids, you know, and what happens is all of a sudden people are like, Oh my gosh, she's saying all the things that I think in my head 
but I'm too scared to say, and it creates an instant trust with your audience. And when people trust you, they'll buy from you. And so what's one of the times that you've been vulnerable and it just backfired? Um, recently, actually. So I launched a podcast back in October called pulling back the curtain with Natalie Hobson. And, um, what I do in every episode is I basically bring up a vulnerable topic and I just tell stories and I share, or I bring other people on that can share their stories. And, um, I, so I kind of just touched on that. So growing up my, and I always feel like I need to preface this by saying, um, my mom, um, if you, if she were here today, or if you were in a room with a hundred people, everybody would be drawn to her. She just has this energy to her that makes you feel loved and good. And, and to this day, I don't believe anybody is entirely good or entirely bad. I don't yeah, believe I, I agree with that. But I think sometimes people make some poor decisions. And so my mom was in and out of prison most of my life. And then the second time that she went, she actually stole my identity and wrote a bunch, like $30,000 in bad checks. I was 19 at the time. It was really hard on me. And, and anyways, wow. I did a, a podcast and, and she's now like, and then she hit somebody with her car and got charged with attempted murder. And now she's fled the country and nobody's heard or seen from her in four years. And so, now? Yeah, that's current. <laughs> yeah. So you, have you heard or seen from her? No. So she was in prison when I got married and when I had my babies. And then, um, yeah. And so um, the only reason I think she's in Australia is a woman reached out a couple, about a year ago and said that my mom had taken money from her, which is kind of my mom's MO. And I was like, well, welcome to the club, you know? Um, and so I did a podcast and I was selective about the, I, I was very clear that I was telling it, I was telling the story from my perspective and there were parts of the story that I left out, but I shared a lot of it, what that was like for me growing up, how that created some, a lot of abandonment issues for me as an adult and um, how even it impacted my money mindset because all my mom's legal stuff was money or, um, based. Related, so, right, yeah. so I was always afraid that if I made a lot of money, it kind of meant I was a bad person. Right. And so um, I talked about that in the podcast. Well, I am the oldest of 10 kids and my, oh sister, my. yeah. So my mom had set, has seven kids. Um, three are with my dad and stepmom and, uh, my sister freaked out. <laughs> she, um, got really mad at me for sharing our family stories and said that that should have been kept a secret and that she didn't want her friends to know. And she blocked me on Facebook and Instagram and text for a couple of days. And I was really upset about it because, um, I wholeheartedly believe, and this is a core belief that I have. And I learned this from Brene Brown, that once you own your stories, those stories no longer have power over you. I agree. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. And I probably will never stop sharing my stories. That's just a part of who I am. And I felt like I was very respectful towards my mom and I was very respectful and not sharing parts of the story that weren't my story to tell. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, my sister came back about a week later and she said, look, we're sisters. Of course, I'm never going to not talk to you forever, but I just felt like you should have asked permission before you shared those stories. And I don't, I don't know. I still have mixed feelings on that. I don't think she would have said yes anyways. And right, right. Uh, so that was a negative consequence that I did have from being vulnerable and telling my stories. Um, and then, you know, I can hate it. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but so that's an interesting topic there because so like in the influencer space, 
like we we run in that circle, right? And so a lot of people kind of listening to this podcast probably do as well. But I think an interesting dynamic that comes up that maybe is not talked about as much because I don't know, people just don't talk about it is that dynamic between family and you, right? Like you're this, like we're not really famous, right? Like we're not like mainstream media, but at the same time, like how do you explain to your family like, yo, I've got like 20,000 followers on Instagram and I'm, you know, like I'm committed to bringing them good content. I'm going to put my life out there or, you know, Facebook, whatever. That's caused some issues I know in my life. I mean, to, I, I don't want to get into it on this podcast because it's a whole different topic, but like kind of similar in that sense with family members turning and blocking on social. Like I've gone through that. And even to this day, that's still happening. Like, and certain, how do you... How has that affected you and how have you dealt with it? Like, ha have you experienced a lot of backlash from your family or being misunderstood from your family? And if so, how have you dealt with it? I think a lot of times, a lot of times my family's like, oh, that's just Natalie doing her thing or whatever she does, you know? And I think a lot, for sure, a lot of my family don't understand what I do for a living even. But um, for me, it I kind of can relate it to it's kind of like when you're maybe you're out of shape and you're first trying to start getting healthy, right? And maybe your spouse isn't on board and they're not going to always be supportive, right? Like they still might have the Doritos in the pantry or the ice cream in the freezer. And you, you can't change other people. You can't make people want to change with you. You can't change other people's beliefs, but what you can do is live by example. And so at first it was really hard because I knew my family was just like, why is, what is Natalie doing? Is, is she just doing this for attention or what's going on? And I think with time and consistency, they were able to see, wow, like she's been able to provide for her kids and she's been able to impact all these women. And, you know, I think they don't totally get it and I'm okay with that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I, there's two things. One, I think I'm very real on social. So it's not like I'm putting out this fake life. Right. 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 And so I think that helps because my family knows I'm a hot mess and I put that on social media. <laughs> I've never had more responses from DM ever than the other day. I did an Insta story talking about how I lost it on my kids. And like, I had I was like, the, I mean, I had no makeup. My hair was messy. And, and I talked about how our morning went and I, th I told them how I was kind of embarrassed, but I said how I threatened to, take the TV and throw it over the fence. So I'll be able to get smashed in the road. And anyways, I had so many women respond back to me and say, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you talked about this. I'm not alone. You know, I, oh, I that's funny. Um, so, you know, I try to share my hot messes too. So it's not like I try to pretend like I'm this perfect person, but it, you know, it's, it's hard. Like there's not a perfect answer. The only thing that I can say is I always go back to, I know what I believe in and I see my vision. And so for me, I stay true to that. And there's a quote that I have in multiple spots around my house. I don't have it here in my office, but it's, um, it's by Teddy Roosevelt. It's called the man in the arena. And it talks about how it's not the critic who counts, it's not the man who criticized how the strong man stumbles or how the doer deeds could have done better. But the credit actually belongs to the person who's actually in the arena. Mm -hmm. And it's a longer quote and I won't do the whole thing, but basically the, the idea is that it's not the people in the peanut gallery, their opinions don't matter. The people yeah. that you really listen to are the people who are, in the arena with you fighting hard trying things taking action failing standing back up failing standing back up and i've had to really apply that mindset across the board because i do get and even online i get haters it's crazy because i'm like i am the nicest person How yeah. <laughs> and you really are you know but i get haters every single day and i've had to just learn what i've tried to do is recognize that usually when people are critical about you it's so much more about 
them and what they're struggling with and their insecurities than it is about you. And so what I've learned is um, when I get criticized is to recognize that first. And then secondly, to really try to sit in what part of what they said towards me triggered me. And then I wrestle with that, right? Because I can't change what people are going to say. I can't change what people are going to act. But what I can do is change my response to it. So I wrestle with why did that trigger me in this area? And what can I do to work on getting triggered that way? And then usually what I wow. do is I thank them for the awareness. And I don't even respond. because. It's How not. did you get to that point? Lots of haters along the way. <laughs> so the thing that I would say is that it never, like you're never going to change somebody's opinion. You're just not. It's kind of like when, um, like the presidential debates are going to start coming up here pretty soon. Gosh, I I'm can't wait. Opinion by posting my opinion on Facebook about like a candidate, right? People are going to think what they're going to think, and so I just learned that when I feed into it, you get more. Like you seriously get more haters, and when I just let it go and keep doing my thing, those haters like they fall. They fall away. I've heard you know? that from a lot of people. The more, the more that it, it, it comes. Have you? Yeah, I mean, we're friends on Facebook. I don't know how much you're on there. Have you seen my uh, my presidential post about Trump? I just saw, I think I liked it the other day. It was actually really good. I really liked it. So there's one, so there's a difference between being polarizing and getting, gaining attention versus trying to convince people to yeah. believe what you believe, right? And I don't think people understand. I mean, I think, I think the marketers of my audience do. In fact, there were several comments on there. I mean, even on that post, I did a plug at the end of it, you know, to the podcast drop and like some marketers definitely picked up on that. And I, you know, that was my intention or my goal. I'm like, yo, I've got this status that I know is going to go. I mean, like so many people are going to put their opinion on it. I mean, even got Alex Becker to comment on it. You know what I mean? Like just crazy. But it, it's funny to me how many people don't realize the difference between what you just said. They're trying to convince someone and then just simply putting something out there as a belief. But I want to go back. I want to go back to the so many things that I want to go off of this. Ah, this is so good. But I want to go back to the responding to the haters uh, with asking what triggered you. Because there's a quote that a friend of mine says a lot, and I absolutely love it. It's like it's hard to be mad at someone when you know why it's like when you know what's going on with them and why it's causing them to do that, and realize that they don't know like why that's happening and that it's a trap that they're in. They're being like trapped in their own minds, their own prison, and so like you have the ability to just kind of let it go. And you're like, dang it, I want to be mad. But at the same time, I'm like, I can't because I know why they're you know doing this. But getting to this point where you took it one step further and you're like, not only am I not going to get mad at them, I'm going to ask myself, what triggered me in that? How did you figure that? Because that's, that's awesome. I've never heard anybody say that. That's amazing. How did you come to that point? Because I want to go down this rabbit hole, if you want to call it, of mindset and changing the mindset of it. And we're going to talk about family here in just one second again. But how did you get to that point? And discover that just a lot of trial and error, a lot of screwing up and making the wrong mistakes. I have a book. I'm going to grab it really fast. It's right here. I can see it. Um, it's uh, oh, never mind. I thought it was right. Oh, here it is. Yeah. So it's a book that I think everybody should read, and it's called The Four Agreements by Miguel Ruiz, I think. And this book, I've read. You can read it in an hour. Um, it really helped me with um, understanding that. Like when you're letting, when you're allowing other people's opinions of you to dictate your actions, you're actually giving your power away to other people. Yeah, at the end of the day, I wholeheartedly believe there's only two things that we control in our life. That's it. Our attitude and our effort. And that's it. And so for me, um, once I realized that, then it became so much easier to let go of, um, 
you know, what other people think. Because at the end of the day, right, like fast forward, I'm 33, right? I'll be 34 in a week, my birthday's in a week. So fast Happy forward birthday. 50 years, 60 years, right? And at the end of like at the end of your days on your deathbed, the only people's opinion that matters is your opinion of yourself. And if you have a relationship with God, your relationship with God. Like everybody else's opinions, they don't matter at the end of the day. And so when yeah. you have that vision, when you have that foresight, it makes it a lot easier to focus on your own identity, right? And your own beliefs about yourself. And I'm obsessed I'm, with this concept of identity right now. In fact, so I'm kind of weird. Like I have this big, beautiful home that's decorated nicely, but uh, I have like, post-it notes all over my house because words, the words that you say to yourself really matter, but I didn't, I couldn't figure out how to change my negative dialogue in my head. So I just started writing positive words, belief systems, and I just started putting plastering my house with them. Like, let me see, oh, my, my office is messy, but you can see like there's a post-it note there yeah, and there's something wow. there and all over my, my house. And the one that I just wrote and put um, in my, next to my bed just a couple weeks ago, and it, I don't remember exactly what it says, but it says something like, um, um, identity is the story you tell yourself about yourself. Mm. And that the cool thing about identity is that identity is malleable, right? And so I'm obsessed with this concept of identity right now. And how, and I, I believe, and some people might argue with me on this, but I believe that identity is built through this, um, the, the belief patterns that you have about yourself, right? So if you believe that you are worthy of, success in business, if you believe that you're worthy of love, if you believe that you're worthy of good relationships, then what will happen is your subconscious will be ah, There it is. I was about to just say, it's gotta be the subconscious. That, that's where beliefs actually live, is in the subconscious. Well, and it's so interesting, you know, because once, and then, so once you start telling yourself um, certain words or patterns that you are capable, that you are worthy, that you are um, able, then those things start happening. And I, I, you know, some people might say, oh, I don't believe in that self-help mumbo jumbo, but I've seen it actually happen in my own life. Like I'm no different than any person. In fact, if anything, the odds were really stacked against me based on like how I grew up. But I believe that the reason that I've been able to have success is a couple things. One is I just believed that I was worthy of it. And two, I am probably the most resilient woman maybe anybody's ever met. And I've learned to separate I failed from I'm a failure, right? And so yeah. once you learn to separate those two things, then it becomes fun because all of a sudden, just because you screwed up at something, all it means is, okay, I need to dust off my knees, reassess what I did wrong and how I can pivot or how I can do things differently next time. And then it almost becomes like a game. But so many times I think we attach our identity to the time we failed, right? To the divorce that we went through, to the bankruptcy that we went through, to the 50 pounds that we gained. And instead, what you do is you shift your focus to, that's not an identity-based belief. It's just it's just a time in place. It's just an action that happened. And once you are willing to recognize that there's a separation between I failed and I'm a failure, then your identity isn't wrapped around the failure, right? And then the other thing I try to do, sorry, I'm going on tangent. Oh no, yeah, go, go for it. Is I also recognize that sometimes how we view failure makes all the difference. Super. So a lot of times, if you look at any time in your life that you have felt uncomfortable or uncertain, right? So maybe it was, um, your first day of college, you were uncertain of what college was going to look like. Maybe it was your wedding day. You didn't know what your marriage was going to look like. Maybe it was launching a new program or a new business. Oftentimes, the most successful people that I know 
place themselves regularly into uncertain or uncomfortable situations because I believe that those are also the most fun times in our life. Like for me, um, I hiked the Appalachian Trail all by myself, like 150 miles of it. That was crazy, right? But I look back and that's one of the coolest stories that I have in my arsenal stories to share because it was really fun. If you look at like hopping on a roller coaster, it's scary and uncertain, but it's fun. Or like the first time you learned how to fish, right? It's uncertain. And so I believe that the more often we put ourselves into uncertain or uncomfortable situations, then what it does is it starts to create that identity that belief in yourself that um it it creates uncertainty creates growth and that creates progress and progress is good even if you fail right so rejection sometimes we look at rejection as a negative thing but really rejection as long as you're willing to come back and self-analyze actually is progress and anything in progress makes you feel happy and anything in life that you're having progress makes you feel happy and fulfilled so I love that. And, and I want to actually, I want to dig a little bit deeper on this though. And I want to hear your thoughts on this. So I actually learned this concept from Sam Ovens, um, like kind of the things that you've talked about of like viewing. I mean, I've always tried to view failure as a, you know, as a tool, as a learning thing, right? You just, you fail, you learn from it, you move on. But Sam, you know, put it in a way that made a lot of sense to me back, I don't know, a year ago, whenever I first watched it, he's like, basically everything's like this system, right? You've got inputs, you've got, you know, taking it to market. He's talking about it in a business sense. And then you got outputs. And then you analyze and it just goes over and over and over again, right? So it's like, oh man, I inputted my effort into a relationship. The relationship happens. The relationship ends. That's the output. It's a failed relationship. Come back. Next relationship, I take what I learn and go in. Or whatever. Business, life, what have you, okay? So like that is a way of looking at it and that's you know everything that you do. However, we also know, and if you know, you're big on identity, you're big on mindset. So like when you do something over and over and over again and you get a, a result, the more you do it, the more that becomes a belief, right? So like you might, I might, when I first got started, I didn't believe that I could sell high ticket. I didn't believe that I could sell a lot of, you know, thing for a lot of money, but then I kept trying and trying and I broke through. And then I was like, oh my gosh, it's possible. And then I did it two times, five times, 10 times. I'm like, I can do it every single time. So what happens to the person? Cause these people are out there, right? Like I'm pretty naturally gifted at speaking and selling. Awesome. Cool. I'm not gifted at graphic design. The person that goes in and does something I don't know, 10 times and they try and they try and they try and they try 10 times in, they've failed 10 times in a row. All of a sudden, now they're going to be start associating this with, I'm a failure, right? Like, or I have failed 10 times in a row. So maybe I just, it's impossible for me to, to succeed at that thing because all of a sudden that, that becomes a belief. Now, this is a concept I've been fascinated with kind of studying. And so like, I know what I think on it, but like for that person that's out there, that's like, but Natalie, I've tried. And I put myself in the uncomfortable situations. I've gone out there. I've done it and I've failed and I've done it and I failed. I know I'm not a failure at life, but I feel every single time I've tried here, I'm a failure. What do I do? I don't want to try it again. <laughs> so that is a really good question. And I wrote a couple things because I didn't want to forget to mention them. So a couple things that I um, did and still do that I think worked really, really well is that one, when I'm starting to feel that um, contraction mode, that feeling of not good enough, I do a couple things. One, I give myself permission to take a break for a day or two. Usually I'll go into the mountains because that's kind of my happy place where I like where there's no cell phone service, nobody can reach me, and I reassess, okay, what is my vision? What do I actually need to do in my life to be happy? Two, I obsessively focus on a handful of people that that have the same belief systems that I do. So for example, Tom Bilyeu is one of those people for me. If you haven't heard of him, he's amazing. I love Tom Bilyeu. Okay. 
his, most of the quotes from my house are his. And his whole concept is that humans as a species are adaptable. And at the end of the day, your ideas don't matter, your intentions don't matter, it's taking action that actually matters. And I, when I went through my divorce, that's when I started writing these notes because I came obsessed with this idea of, I know there's something inside of me, but I don't know how to make that happen. And I, I had to become obsessed with taking action. So what I do is I, now with that being said, there's a lot of noise in this space, right? So you can listen to a hundred people and get a hundred different ideas and feel paralyzed. So what I do is I pick one or two people, Russell Brunson's one of them, Tom Billy is one of them, who I, I narrow in and obsessively, like I might binge listen to a bunch of his podcasts or his motivation videos on YouTube because it helps get me back into the right mindset and it helps me see because what he does is he brings on lots of people, himself included, who have had failure after failure after failure. And what that does is it helps me realize that I'm not alone in that process, that most people who have massive success fail thousands of times along the way, but they didn't allow that to define themselves. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I do. And then the other thing is I just were like, I, um, I have had to try Like people hear my story and they're like, Oh, you had overnight success. That is far from the truth. <laughs> that's like the highlight real story that gets people's attention. That's a good hook that, um, that people like to hear. But I believe, you know, the reason people have success continually over time is because they have a large sample size. They've tried a lot of things and you just have to keep pivoting and keep trying different things. And so for me, you know, I had a video um, when I was building my Facebook, my Facebook audience, I had a video that went really viral on Facebook and I got like millions of organic views from it. And I gained a hundred thousand Facebook followers from this one video wow. and it was uh, perfectly imperfect. So the backstory to that is, um, I had been following this gal, Heidi Powell. She's in the fitness space on Instagram. And I saw she was doing a blog series on perfectly imperfect and bringing in different bloggers. Well, um, I was like, I could contribute to that. So I went to her website. There's no contact button, right? So I was like, dang it. I guess I'm not going to be able to be a part of this. And I was like, no, Natalie, you really can make an impact. So I just went and I guessed, like, I guess like Heidi at HeidiPal.net, info at HeidiPal.net, HP at Heidi, like all these different variations. And all of them came back, bounce, 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 bounce. And then finally one of them worked and it went through and her assistant came back to me. And then, you know, what's funny though, is that I, I was like, well, gosh, this works so well. I'm going to try this with lots of different influencers. And it didn't like, I reached out to, I think 99 other people and got either zero majority, no response or no's, you know? And so I think that sometimes understanding that tenacity that for every 99 no's, you might have one that really, really takes off. Right. And just, you know, for me, I think that part of, um, part of, you know, believing, like, I believe wholeheartedly that my business works, that my business is successful, but I don't believe that it's always going to be successful the first time. It might be the third time or the eighth time or the 22nd time, but I believe in my core. That's part of my identity that I am going to be successful. Okay. I want to, I want to make a transition here because I think this is probably going to be the best transition that we get for this. since on this topic. We haven't talked a whole ton about like the overcoming false beliefs necessarily, like specifically that topic. We've given examples, but I want to talk about the topic of just because you are successful does not mean that you don't have other limiting beliefs, even about very similar things to the things that you're successful in. And it's like, 
one of the things that I've really been studying recently, and it's, it's funny because it goes hand in hand with marketing. And like, the more I study it, the more Russell Brunson makes sense. It's hilarious. But it's this concept of belief, right? Like how beliefs are formed. And once you, once you believe something to be possible and like know how to do it, it's like the easiest thing in the world. Russell says, you know, once you make one, two comma club, you hit your second one pretty fast, most people, right? So this whole concept of belief. But what happens with belief is that each person experiences it differently. So you might have a belief and it's only unlocked and somebody else might like, it's a money belief and they have a, they go through an experience. It changes their whole perspective, um, perception of money and they're good to go for the rest of their life when it comes to money. They're set because the, the part of their brain that's being held back changes. But for you, and I want to go into this story, you were not that way. Like you go and you made, and I, I, I remember sitting there at Offer Lab and you telling the story and I was blown away by this. Like you made three, $4 million off of a $37, $67, like low ticket products, scared out of your mind to do a high ticket product. Like how does one, like tell us that story of how you were scared and what you ultimately did. And then I want to talk about that in a little bit more detail after that. Yeah. So I think a lot of that comes up, came, comes back to how I grew up. Right. And I, we never had money. So I didn't see myself as somebody who could be a high ticket coach. I just, that, that wasn't part of my belief system. And I think a lot of times, usually most of our mental blocks or beliefs, a lot of times you actually can trace them back to childhood stuff and not trying to get too woo woo or weird here. But I recently started doing what's called EMDR therapy. Oh, no way. I just started that like maybe like five weeks ago. Okay. So especially with some of the stuff, like I know with your family that you recently went through with the trauma and stuff, it, it changed my life. It was like a ripple effect. Like once I fix old past traumas or even recent traumas, it like it fixed issues that I didn't even know were there. Right. And then everything else started to get better. So I think especially for entrepreneurs, EMDR, I learned about it from Alex Sharfin. EMDR therapy is really awesome because traditional talk therapy, I get so bored so fast. I can't do it, but this is like, it starts working after like one session. And anyways, not going down that rabbit hole, but I think EMDR therapy helps a lot to get rid of those blocks that we have that maybe you don't even know why you have them. Yeah. And then, um, so for me, I just thought I'm really good at selling low ticket stuff. You know, we're bringing in, like, I think we had a hundred thousand customers in the last year and a half or two years. And so I'm like, I'm good at bringing lots of people in, but I'm not good at like sending them into higher ticket. And so for me, I just had to follow a process of being scared to do it and doing it anyways. And I will tell you to this day, I'm still like, you think after launching all these products, like. So when we launched the first ebook, I was like, that worked great. Let's launch lots of ebooks. So we did. We launched a pregnancy training program. We launched um, cookbooks. We launched a shred program. We launched all kinds of ebooks, followed the same method, and they all did quite well. But um, every single time I launch something, and my team can vouch for this, I get really scared. I create the whole content, and then I like don't want to put it out there. And my team has to come over and like pull it out of me. And they're like, come on, Natalie, we're, like we're gonna. So you think after all this time, like I would still not be scared. In fact, my podcast, I pushed the launch back two times because I was like, ah, what are people gonna think? And then it was so silly because we launched it and we hit the top two hundred business podcasts after like eleven episodes or something. Like it, it was great, right? But I still had this internal belief that it's not going to work or it's not going to, which is, it's like this catch or it's this, 
polarizing belief in my dialogue in my own head because I know that even if we launch and it fails, like we'll pivot, we'll reposition, we'll learn from it, but it still feels scary. Like it still feels scary. And yeah. the best way I can describe it is it's kind of like climbing all the way up to the highest high jump at the swimming pool and getting all the way to the edge and looking down and being like, uh, I don't want to do it. And it's like so fun, but um, I get that feeling every single time. So I've just had to accept that that's my normal. And I, um, I have ways of, of kind of working through that fear and then just doing it. And like that same thing, like doing it, not looking for a little bit and then re, you know, reassessing or assessing. But, um, uh, even recently, like I didn't believe I was capable of selling anything high ticket <laughs> and I had just never done it. And it felt very scary to me. And I thought, what is my audience going to think? Are they going to think that I'm money hungry or selfish or whatever? And, um, the only way I changed that was by doing it. <laughs> I just put out a high ticket offer. It was a, it was a wilderness retreat and we had some glitches along the way. Like we offered it at 12,000. And then, um, I think for my audience, a, the sweet spot is actually around 6,000. So we learn for next time. Right. But, but, but you were not going to launch it at 12,000 at all. Like you were going to go way, way less. We were going to launch it for 3,500. And then I went to inner circle and they talked me to sell it for more. And, um, Anyways, so what I've learned is that I used to have a lot of guilt over charging, but the problem is if I only charge for low ticket, everything gets bottlenecked at me and I can't give as much value. But if I start to ascend people and offer or charge more for my time for access to me, then I'm really able to help people at a much deeper level than I'd ever be able to do with a $37 ebook. And so for me, once I kind of started to see that. And I still don't have it all figured out. Like I'm not sitting here saying I have all the answers and I know it all because I still struggle with that, you know? And I think I probably always will just based on the way I grew up. But, um, you know, I think for me, oh, this is what I was going to tell you is that for me, I have what I call anchors that really help me when I start to feel that like anxiety feeling or just laziness feeling. So I have anchors for lots of different areas of my life. So I have anchors for working out and it's an album in my phone of like all the, the, when I've been in the best shape or when I've hiked high mountaintops or, um, and it, it, I look through those photos and it gets me really excited to go work out in the gym. I have a music playlist that's an anchor for me that I know if I listen to these songs, I'm going to be excited to move and get going. Right. Um, for me, when I start to feel small, like just belief wise, when I start to feel like, who am I to even dream big, you know, who am I to think that I can take on Rachel Hollis or change the world, right? What I do is I have an album in my phone of anchors. And so it's all different messages and private DMs of women because we get a couple a day saying like, Natalie, you changed my life. Or um, because of you, I learned how to view my body differently. And now my daughter gets to grow up with a mom who's comfortable with her body instead of always hating herself, right? Or whatever the story is that we're getting, um, those are my anchors that help keep me going and help me see the bigger vision because otherwise it's really easy to get in our own heads of like, I'm not good enough. What's the point anyways? What am I doing? Should I just go back? Like, I mean, and I still have this conversation in my head every couple months. Should I just like become a mountain woman and live off the land and move to the mountains and stop doing it all? And I think that's normal for entrepreneurs. to. Feel oh it. yeah. I even, I mean, I go through that too. Yeah. Okay. So at the beginning of the podcast, you said, Hey, I'm a normal person, right? Mm -hmm. the big people in your industry would not consider themselves to be normal people, right? Like, I mean, they live a lifestyle that is fully and 100% committed to what it is that they're doing, right? 
So I feel like one of the reasons, you know, for someone like me, this is what I want to do with my life, right? Like, I don't want a normal life. I have no desire to be normal, right? Like, I'm just like, whatever. I want to be good, be great, right? But a lot of people aren't necessarily that way. Some people do like to have a normal life, but still want to be successful. They want to be able to go and try. They don't care about fame necessarily, but they want to go out. They want to have success. When you're selling high ticket, be it $12,000, $6,000, whatever, do you feel like, or have you ever felt like you've got to all of a sudden become this person, this new person that's capable and worthy of selling and charging like high ticket? And like, has that ever prevented you because you don't want to become that person or you don't want to be that committed? Or is that like not, not the thing? I think my angle is a little bit different. I think the people that are drawn to my brand is because I'm very real and true to myself. And like what you see in real life is how I am online. Like it, it's very much the same person. So for me, um, in a lot of my coaching, what I do is, as I rely on my own stories of like when I had success or when I had failures and I try to break down the patterns of why that was successful and why that failed. And so when I do the coaching, a lot of people really are drawn to that because they see, wow, she's telling a story of how I feel right now. And she was able to work through that and achieve success. And so I actually, I actually kind of disagree with that a little bit because I think sharing all the failures along the way is actually what has created this massive engaged brand that I have mm -hmm. because it becomes relatable, right? And it's just like um, Russell talks about the hero's two journeys. Like people don't always care about the success at the end. Like Rocky didn't win in the first Rocky, right? Lightning McQueen didn't win the trophy cup at the end of the Disney movie, but we love them because of the journey that they went on along the way. And I think that part of my edge as a coach or as an influencer or whatever space is because I share the ups and the downs. I share the good and the bad and people find that like relatable and like all of a sudden they're, it's kind of like when Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile, right? Nobody believed it was ever possible. Then all of a sudden he breaks the four minute mile and the next year, like eight people did it. And now there's high school kids doing it. Right. So I think by sharing my journey, people see the struggle, but they also see the success. And then they all of a sudden believe if one can do it, so can two. Yeah. And, and sorry, I didn't mean to say that not to share the failures. I meant like, do you ever feel like you have to change when you sell high ticket to become more committed to the brand? Like that you, that you can't be quite as authentic, that you have to play the part a little bit more. Do you ever feel that way or no? I don't like in my high ticket Good. coaching, I'm still very much like a lot of my calls are just like this. Most of them I don't have makeup on. And I think that people, it just makes it more relatable and more realistic for somebody else to achieve similar success. Now, now, you know, I'm committed to having a more normal lifestyle. That's important for me because I want my kids to be raised similar to how I was raised. So you'll never see me have super flashy cars or big jets or anything like that. Um, I also, it's just, I'm a saver, not a spender. So like I get enjoyment out of saving money and not spending it. But, um, you know, I find my enjoyment in like simple things like going to the mountains and building my garden in my backyard and that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Are you religious? Uh, Christian. You are okay. Okay, I'm. I mean, I'm a Christian. So I mean, you live out in um, <clears throat> Idaho, right? Boy, you're in Boise. So like, yeah. it's very Mormon out there, right? Mm -hmm. How do you? And, and I'm very open about you know faith and God. I mean, that's not something that I am quiet about at all. I'm very vocal about my faith there. One of the things I find is interesting though is I have a lot of Mormon friends, right? Yeah. And so I actually get DMs, and and I'm not. I'm not critical or, or saying that, you know, Mormon's wrong or anything of that nature. I'm not quite sure what I believe necessarily with the differences even, but it's funny to me because I've gotten several DMs on Instagram from Mormons uh, saying like, Josh, I know you're a Christian. Please come check out Book of Mormon because this is more truth that you need. 
have you ever run into with like in your business or whatever people that um either trust you more or don't trust you or like don't follow your follow you because of your faith or are you not vocal about it online I don't talk a ton about religion online. Um, so an interesting thing about me, I actually grew up in the Mormon church okay. um, and uh, like half my family is, is Mormon. And then when I was 16, uh, my mom got excommunicated from the church. And so we just kind of stopped going as a family. So I don't have anything against the Mormon church. I'm not like anti-Mormon. I think part of the reason like I can definitely fit in with that crowd is because I know like I grew up in it. So I know the lingo and, um, but as far as religion, I don't, okay. So, so I have an interesting story for you. So I don't, uh, I recently got rebaptized a couple years ago, three years ago. And I think when I shared that video, it got like massive amounts of shares and engagement. I just don't talk about, there's some things, you know, I put so much of my life out publicly, but there's a couple things I like to keep private, you know, and religion is kind of one of them cause it's sacred to me. Um, dating is another one just cause I don't, like the drama of everybody knowing about my dating life, you know, but I can tell you one of the things that I get a lot of hate for online is my, um, my hunting. So I grew up really, Oh, that makes sense. I'm one of 10 kids. And so we grew up living off the land. We were poor. So we, we, we hunted to eat, you know, we had a massive garden. I learned how to can at a young age and preserve vegetables and, um, I always joke. So my, my grandma was a member of the Montana militia. And so that side of family is a little crazy. And my, wow. I'm one of 10, my mom's one of eight. So every year we had this big um, family reunion where everybody would bring their tents and every, it was so fun. It was like a big compound kind of, and we still do it every year. And every single night um, we would have a talent show. We would have a Dutch oven cook off with prizes and a different family member would teach a different survival skill. So since I was like, three years old, oh, so I cool. was learning <clears throat> what herbs to grow in your garden to reduce fever or to alleviate toothache or how to build a fire out of bricks if um, you run out of electricity. Like these are just things I have in my head. And so I think partly when I started sharing more of my outdoor stuff, my hunting and my fishing, um, it, it wasn't even, I didn't even think twice about it because that was like our way of life. That's how we grew up. And I'm so respectful. Like I know how much work it takes to go into the mountains, to scout, to go into the back country of Idaho. And like, if you get an elk, that's 200 pounds. You have to carry out in three or four trips on your back. And like how we say a prayer over the animal when they die, like we're so respectful. And I guarantee you that meat that we hunt, like it does not get wasted in this. Right, 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 right. You're not just chucking it. Get it. Right. But I actually stopped posting hunting pictures because I got death threats that I had to report to the police. Um, I had people that said, I got called the C word more wow. times than I wanted to see. And, um, I had somebody tell me that the next time I'm innocently hiking in the woods with my kids, they're going to pull out a gun and shoot us in the head. Like I did that animal. And, um, what is wrong with people isn't that crazy. And I think it's so hard for me because my perspective, like that's just how we grew up. That was a way of life for us. And we're so well, and same here. I grew up on the farm. Yeah. And so, um, what I had to realize again, going back to the critics and the haters conversation is that most of the people that are really critical, even though it baffled me, cause they'd have profile pictures, eating hamburgers and stuff, you know, I'm like, don't you realize that like, yeah. <laughs> but, um, a lot of them were from other countries where they have very strict gun laws. So even the concept of owning a gun is foreign and there, there's not a lot of public land, like in other countries, you have to pay a lot of money to go on like an exotic hunt. And so I had to recognize that their perspective was different 
I love that. Okay. But uh, just simply for it from a numbers perspective, when we post hunting pictures, I lose lots of followers. Now I know I'm losing people who aren't my people, but until I'm ready to kind of go that direction more with my brand, I just kind of keep that quiet. Yeah. And I think that, it, you know, it's interesting in the social media space specifically, like I, I don't think people understand how, cause people be like, well, just be authentic and real. If that's you just post it. Like there's so, there's a difference between being authentic and be ready to make like a whole brand shift, right? Like there's so much preparation that goes into that. And so many people don't get it that aren't in that space, you know? And I've had family members and friends are like, well, Josh, just do this. And I'm like, that's not quite how it works. You know what I mean? Like, well, you can't just switch directions that easily. It's kind of like, have you ever gone to church and then all of a sudden somebody starts trying to sell like oils to you or something? Like it, you, it gets you a weird feeling. Like right. mm-hmm. my audience comes to me for health stuff. I can't just pivot and go one direction randomly. You have to like nurture that. And so I actually someday want to maybe move my brand into more of the prepper space. I actually think it's somebody like me, like a young blonde girl came into that space that's dominated by old white men. I actually think it could be a huge pattern interrupt. And because I really do have the knowledge and the skill set, I could, yeah. but that's a whole nother beast. And it's like, do I, do I really want to do that right now? Like focus on the one thing, Natalie, no shiny object syndrome, you know, <laughs> how, how did you, how do I, how do you, how do you make decisions? Like, how do you determine what, what it is that you're going to do next? So I wish I could turn my computer so you could see my big whiteboard here. Um, I just did this activity. So what I did is in this in the center is a circle where I wrote my strengths. I wrote getting people to believe in themselves, not giving up, resilient, picking yourself up, positive, getting people to feel like they belong slash are seen, uh, self-worth, believing in yourself. I know that when we create products around that, it's successful because that's what mm. I'm that's my superpower. That's what I'm good at. Like I'm not... I will wholeheartedly say I'm not the smartest marketer in the room. I'm just really good at connecting with people. And so I've been able to figure out the dots, but so, so that's the crux, right? That's a circle in the middle and they put a big circle around it. And then, so my brand, I want to build this encompassing brand that the idea of a strong woman is somebody who's strong physically, somebody who's strong emotionally and somebody who's strong financially. Hmm. And so what I did is on the left side of the circle, I wrote, physical. And then I have all the different products that we currently have. And then ideas for other products that I want to do. I wrote emotional, different ideas, things we're currently doing, want to do and financial things we're currently doing and want to do. And then on the side, I have other ideas. (laughs) And then what I did, and then, so once you whiteboard it and write it out, it's like, okay, cool. Here's all of our options. Now let's pick like the easiest, basically the easiest to collect. So what's going to take the least amount of work from the team, the least amount of resources, and let's focus there. Or let's focus on, okay, this makes the most sense. It's summertime. We can do like a continuation of abs core pelvic floor probably, right? So basically once your options are in front of you, then it becomes a lot easier to pick. Okay, let's focus on this one next. Let's focus on that. Um, so, yeah. That's awesome. Super, super cool. Um, how many? What what would you say is and, and, and do you have time? I mean, we've gone an hour. I have I, I can keep going. I just want to make sure that you're okay. I'm, I'm free after this. Okay, cool. With like you've obviously it's taken you a while to get to this point, right? I mean, like you've gone through, you've evolved, you become a new person. I mean, really, um, we haven't even talked about really like identity shifts. We've talked about identity, but maybe not so much identity shifts. But what would you say is one thing? Because that's so cool, right? But like. Four years ago, six years ago, when you for or I think you said you've been doing this for eight years, right? Now? Yeah. Roughly. So like eight years ago, if I would have asked you that question, chances are no way in heck you would have just gave me that answer, right? 
So like for you over the past eight years, I've been in this space for yeah, give or take three to four years, maybe. So like I'm a newbie to it too, but like, what would you say is the number one daily or weekly or just like activity in general that has allowed you to shape who it is that you've become? And I don't, I don't mean like, well, you know, always focused on making more money or like, I'm like the daily activity or the weekly, like what's that thing that you focused on of like, that's the thing that I do reading, sleeping, right? Like what's that thing that has allowed you to open your mind change your identity, find, well, your faith. I mean, like so many things and become the Natalie Hudson we now see. So a couple things. Um, I would say there's two key things. One, and you hear it a lot, but not a lot of people actually do it, is that every morning um, I do a, not a whole journal, like a gratitude journal. But what I found is that I'm not a good journaler. So when I tried to like really sit down and write too much, I just wouldn't actually do it. So instead what I do now is I pull up my notes section on my iPhone and I just write three things down. And I actually kind of like made a game with myself. Like what's the most trivial thing you can be grateful for? Because after a while of doing that, you start to like say the same things like my kids, uh, my healthy body, uh, the mountains right here. Right. And so I started to think like, what are, what's the most trivial thing? Like, um, that I had coffee to make my coffee in the morning or something small like that. But I, I like seriously, seriously, believe that that's a lot of why I've been able to overcome so many challenges and struggles is because going back to the sub, the subconscious stuff, what happens is what you focus on, like, I just believe that what you focus on, you begin to attract. And mm. there's a lot of people out there who, um, we all know somebody who's negative, who's mean, who focuses on everything that's going wrong in their life. Right. And guess what happens? More of that starts to come to you. And, and you might say it's just like woo woo self-help stuff, but it's not like, I believe in this wholeheartedly. It's kind of like when you first buy a car, right? Let's say you buy a, a black F-150. All of a sudden you start to notice all the black one F-150s on the road. Right. And it's the same way with being positive. What happens is you start to focus on the things that you do have, the abundance that you have instead of the scarcity, the gratitude that you have instead of the negativity. And then all of a sudden those things start to happen in your life. And I think part, part partly it's because um, when you even just see what's there in front of you, then more opportunities are, are in your line of vision. Right. Yeah. Well, so, oh, sorry. Good. Well, that's number one. Mm -hmm. And then, um, number two is I think modeling other people that you want to be like, and I don't mean just be like, as far as make the most money. I mean, like actually people you want to be like people who embody the same morals and ethics that you do. And what I used to do. So when I first started in the fitness industry, Jamie Eason was kind of how I found out about fitness. She had this free program on bodybuilding.com. And there was something about the way that she communicated that drew people in. And so what I would do is I would model her and I would watch, how does she talk? Like, how does she, she has compassion for people. She's not mean in her post. She's empathetic. And I would start to model that in my own way. Now, just like Russell says, you don't copy, you don't copy word for word, but you right. model. And, um, and only pick a handful of people. I know I said that already, but, um, for me, you know, I look at how Russell communicates with his audience even, and you can model that how somebody builds a funnel, you model that. But for me, when I get laser focused on a handful of people that I look up to, because the truth is I didn't grow up with a lot of great role models. And so because I didn't have those in my real life, I had to create that through. And the cool thing is we have that ability through the internet. Right. And so, so cool. Uh, I regularly will go through my social media feed 
and I'll do what I call a social media cleanse. So anybody who makes me feel not good enough or, um, you know, not enough, I just unfollow, 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 unfollow. In fact, I recently did this with my Facebook. I started unfollow my, my Facebook feed is like all business people trying to sell their programs. And I was like, I can't even see my real friends and family. So I just went through and like muted and unfollowed every single person. That's so like, crazy because we did a podcast episode. It's actually, I think episode like three or something like that, or four of the podcast It's called, this is killing you and social media isn't helping. And it's this concept of comparison on social. I did the exact same thing. I had to even, even like my homies, like my friends on social that were just making me feel like crap, not like of anything of their own. And I feel like a lot of people, they ask themselves or they, they'll ask me and they'll be like, well, isn't it like, if you unfollow someone, like, isn't that, disrespectful or like, I'm like, no, it's like, just because someone is, they don't have to be doing something bad in order for them to be a distraction, right? right. Like they don't have to be doing, saying anything that's, they could be saying all the right things and be an awesome person. But if it makes you feel bad, if it makes you feel like crap, it's not their responsibility to change. It's your responsibility to take action for that. And I absolutely, I love that. That's so super, super cool. And the truth is nobody will even know, or most people won't even notice. Like we always were worried about what people are thinking about us, but the truth is they're not thinking about us. They're thinking about we, what we think about them, right? So at the end of the day, and this goes back to what I said earlier, you got to focus on what makes you feel happy and what makes you feel good. Um, because, you know, otherwise you're just like running this rat race. Then the other thing I would say is to, I, I know that especially at the beginning, I felt so paralyzed by perfection, right? I'd see these people that I looked up to and I'd be like, well, I could never do what they've done. But you have to remember like, like, okay, here's a good example. This is the new iPhone, right? iPhone X or 10 or whatever. And it's awesome. But like if I had an iPhone 1.0 in this hand and you compared the two, you'd be like, yeah, the iPhone 1.0 sucks compared right. to this, right? right. But if Apple would have been too afraid to put out their 1.0 version, they never would have even known what had to be improved to put out the 2.0 version, then to put out the 3.0 version. And if they would have been stuck, because they saw their vision of 10.0, but if they would have been stuck in thinking it has to look like this when we launch, it never would have gotten to where we're at today. And I think the same thing, like if somebody looks at my website, for example, it's, it's beautiful, like it's gorgeous. But if I could show you my very first website, it was like, it was black. It was all black. It had like tiny white aerial font and it was like flip phone pictures. It was terrible. Right. But if I would have been too afraid to put that first version out, I never would have even known how to improve it. And so yeah. the, the important thing is I said model, right. But you don't have to model somebody's where they're at right now. Model the, the things that you can recreate, like the way that they communicate, the way that they talk and then start like the biggest thing is just getting started, right? Taking action at the end of the day is the only thing that matters. Right. Like nobody cares about your vision or your idea until you start to put stuff out there. Yeah. Well, and the other thing about perfection and modeling that I think is super important that you brought up is we know this as marketers, like the market has to be ready for something, right? But like Steve Jobs or whoever it was that the founder that put out the iPhone one could not have remotely imagined in their wildest dreams what the iPhone 10 was going to look like simply because they didn't even know what was going the market was going to take. And like they couldn't market one the same way they could market 10. And the same thing is true. Like when you first get started, don't model Russell Brunson's website. If you go to Russell Brunson's website right now, he's not making squat, right? Like there's no money he's making off of that thing. Right. And so right. it's, it's, you know, his funnels and stuff brand equity is important fame like play, plays this recognition repetition the cognitive bias like all these things play into that when you're just starting out 
it would do you a disservice to go try to put out iPhone 10 because you don't even know the parts of what got them to that, you know, that iPhone 10 part. I think that's so, super, super important when it comes to cop or modeling, but not, you know, stealing or not copying directly. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And even if I look at my own journey, like if I would have offered high ticket stuff before I had built any following, any list, any brand, like it would have failed miserably because I didn't, I didn't nurture my audience right. the way did over those years that then allowed me the opportunity to, to, you know, serve them better. Are you good at sales? I think I'm good at sales. Yes. Like, like one-on-one, -on -one, like if, if you were sitting down on the phone with someone or like in person and you had to sell like a $10,000 package, you're confident to sell that? Yeah, I think I could. I've, I worked in sales before I started doing the blogging stuff. So, and I got like good sales training and stuff. So I believe in my abilities. I, I actually think I'm not that good at like, I don't know, strategy on sales and things. I think I'm just really good at connecting with connecting people. With people yeah. You know? And so when, like, once you have that superpower, you can leverage it into a lot of different verticals. How, how important do you think the, the knowledge of understanding people, I, I was going to say sales, but I, I like the kind of the angle that you took with that. How important do you think sales slash whatever we want to call it there in the knowledge of it is when it comes to building your business? It's so important. It's everything. Like, I'll give you some examples. When we put salesy posts out there, that's just like, Hey, 20% off our eBooks today. It's, it's like no engagement at all. But if I put a, a really heartfelt post and I kind of have this four step system on how I write very vulnerable posts that get massive engagement where I start off with like the raw, real emotion. And then I go back into like showing myself some grace, relating it to another time, maybe where I felt the same way. And then four step is the most important having a plan of action on either how I work through it. If it was a past thing or how I'm currently working through it. If it's current and understanding that like, if I, if I just walk up to somebody and I'm trying to like barf sales on them, they're not, they're not going to care. People like care about themselves. Right. And so they want to know, like in, in my posting in my podcast and my stories, they don't really care about my stories until I can relate it back to how, if they're going through something similar, yeah. it can impact them. And once you're giving them answers and solutions or hope, then they're more willing to buy your stuff because they're like, wow, she's been through what I've been through and she has a solution for the problem that I'm facing. But that's understanding people, right? Like if you were just to come in and just sell, 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 like, Hey, I'm the greatest thing on the world and you should just buy my stuff. It never goes well. It tanks. It tanks. So but when I'm willing to be real, and honest and then show people like, Hey, I've been through it too. And I worked through it. Then usually it goes much better. Okay. So hopefully I only have two questions left. Hopefully okay. this has been such a good conversation. The person that's selling something maybe, and maybe, and maybe you don't know that. And if that's the case, it's fine. But let's say I'm not selling something that has a story that I can relate to, right? Like I'm not the expert secrets, attractive character. I'm selling I don't know, iPhone cases or, you know, cups, or I don't know, whatever it is, or, or maybe you're selling a training on something that you have no idea. It's somebody else's product. Can you still use your story to sell or do you use a different form of marketing? So I'm going to give you an answer that you might not expect here. Okay. Uh, but yes. So I recently become obsessed with the idea of, cause I, my whole brand was basically based off vulnerability. Um, but I started to become obsessed with the science behind it. Like, why does that actually work? Mm. So I started reading a bunch of research papers and what I started to learn, a lot of it was Brene Brown's work is that, um, shame and vulnerability are like oil and water. They cannot survive together. And so what's interesting about that is that the more 
shame somebody has around a topic. Let's say, um, so for women, the number one shame trigger for women is body image. For men, yeah. the number one shame trigger is not being able to provide, not, not being able to provide for their family, not making enough money. So <clears throat> what I've learned is that if you can, inf if you can infuse your, um, products with, with, um, the top shame stories around the top shame inducing topics. So those are vulnerable stories, right? So maybe you tell a story about, um, a time that you've gone through like, um, Brad, Gibb and Ryan Lee. I always say you guys should tell as many stories as you can of times where you like embarrassing stories where you really struggled with money because what that's going to do is by you being vulnerable, right? Coming up, it's going to reduce the amount of shame that somebody feels around the topic. And so, and what is shame? Shame is the belief that you're not good enough and that you're not capable of change. So if you're able to infuse your, whatever you're selling with some vulnerable stories, what it does is by default is you're teaching your audience that they are capable of change and that they are good enough. So like you're actually making them better people too. That's the nice side effect. So what I would do is I would go back to whatever you're selling, like Russell says, what category does it fall under? Does it fall under health, wealth, or relationships? And once you know that, then just like Russell says, have an arsenal of stories to create kind of like bridges. What I believe is that you should have an arsenal of stories around every single one of these shameful topics. And there's a whole list of them. I don't have them here in front of me, but it's like body image, um, sex, divorce, relationships, parenthood, um, uh, gender roles. Like there's a whole list of top shame inducing topics. And if you have stories that you can pull out of your arsenal, um, when you're selling something, then what happens is gets people to one, trust you to two, eliminate that shameful feeling that maybe they have around the topic. Like maybe if they're selling iPhones, right. And they can't afford the iPhone and they're embarrassed to tell you that they don't have enough money. Then what you can do is you can pull a story out of your arsenal stories of a time where you couldn't afford something and you felt really embarrassed, but then you took some side jobs on the side, you hustled and you were able to buy it and it improved your life. I just, Right, 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 right. Mm -hmm. But so my thing is that I think sales all comes back to understanding why a person has resistance to you. And in a lot of cases, I think it revolves around shame and vulnerability. So if you can reduce the amount of shame or embarrassment that somebody feels around really telling you their true intentions or their true resistance, then all of a sudden it opens up this new arena where you can really have like real good conversations and usually sell to them better. That's incredible. I absolutely love the comparison of shame to vulnerability the more vulnerable the less shame that's incredible guys that's literally gold if you're listening wow that's awesome okay uh last major question hopefully i think and kind of going back to talking about like how a lot of times like what you focus on manifestation you know is oftentimes associated with rah-rah fluff right i mean it's like oh does that really work do you know do you know about quantum physics at all so I do, but I have no, I have number dyslexia, so I mix up numbers in my head. So sometimes if we go down this route, I like get nervous no, about quotes no. and numbers and stuff. No, no, no. I, we're not going to necessarily go down the quantum physics route, but I was just curious if you know anything about like the the like the basic concept of quantum physics. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, okay, because a lot of people don't, and I have studied quantum physics, like. I wish you could see my wall. Like in front of me right now, I have big, huge white boards, like six of them with quantum definition, physics definition, quantum theory, like all these different things about psychology and all sorts of cool stuff. But that was the thing that allowed me to believe that law of attraction and manifestation and what you focus on actually is a real thing, right? Like that was the rabbit hole that got me to go, oh, these people aren't crazy. Well, most of them are, but like, because most of them have no idea why it works, right? But like, 
there's actual science and like logic behind what's what's happening here. Um, going back to the example of the F-150, you buy an F-150, all of a sudden you see all the F-150s, I have a Jeep, same thing happened to me. You, I've heard the analogy, like you've got billions of different, for the sake of you know this conversation, we'll call them bits, right? Billions of different bits that you can focus on on a daily basis. Your subconscious is recognizing all of them, right? Like it's capturing them in and it's there, it's embedded in your brain, but your, your conscious, you're, you can only focus on like, you know, 40 or 50 of them, right? Or a hundred of them. And you got billions you can choose from. So you're programming your brain when you, you know, wake up in the morning and are doing these things to see and focus on those things. Why is it, do you think, or in your experience, that focusing on and like telling yourself, hey, I am worthy, hey, I'm this, because that sounds so fluffy. It sounds so like, I don't know, lame. And, you know, if you're a dude, it sounds super women, womanish, right? And if you're or feminine, if you're a girl, it sounds, you know, desperate oftentimes, or, you know, I've heard. So it's like these things, at what point does that start to pay off? And is there a way that you do it besides just going, I am worthy, I am worthy, I am worthy. You know what I mean? Like we hear like these people that they tell you that's what you do. And you're just like, that doesn't, that's not, I'm not going to do that. So like for you, how do you go about telling yourself that? And why do you think it works slash how long until you've seen results with it? Well, at the beginning, it was just a leap of faith. It was like all these people that I look up to, they all meditate in the morning. They all believe that they're worthy. They all believe in affirmations. So it was kind of like, at first I didn't understand it, just like you said. And I was like, well, if it worked for them, maybe it will work for me. And then I saw in my own life that it just actually worked. And sometimes you don't have to know all the ins and outs of why it works. It's just kind of like, why do you brush your teeth every night? Because you know it's going to make it so you don't have cavities. You don't really know like all the ingredients and the suds in your mouth and the bacteria that it's getting rid of, right? You just know it works. It's kind of like, you know, I know that if I wash my face at night, I'm not going to break out the next day. I'm not really sure why. I just know that it works. Um, and so for me, I stopped obsessing over like the what, the, the why behind it and just focusing on like consistently focusing on when I've had success, what patterns did I have? Cause everything is patterns, right? So when I had success, what patterns did I follow to get there? And when I failed, what patterns did I follow to get there? And then do sounds simple, but do more of what works and less of what doesn't work. And so for me having words around my house, I, I can't tell you exactly why it works. I can't, you know, I know, I know some science behind it, but I just know that it works. And I know it sounds weird. And when people come to my house, they're like, that's kind of weird, Natalie, but I don't really care right. because it's for me. And so that's why I consistently do it. That's why I whiteboard and I, and I, every day, not every day, but like every two weeks, I erase my whiteboard and I start over because for me, seeing something in front of me every single day, and most people don't do that. Like, you know, you always hear, write down your goals. Most people don't Never write do. down yeah. their goals. And it's crazy because it really works. Like you start to um, tell yourself, in fact, I have another sign next to my bed that says, um, I am uh, worthy of love, uh, even the messy parts. And then I crossed out the word even, and I wrote especially the messy parts, you know? And it sounds stupid, but I put that like two years ago. And now, like, I believe that. That's a belief system because I saw it every single day. Every day. So here's the thing I'll tell you is that the first time you do it, you're going to feel freaking weird. You're going to be like, <laughs> what am I doing? And I'm listening to this Natalie girl and this Josh guy, and they said to do it. And if you just trust that it works, it really, really does. I've heard mm -hmm. Rachel Walsh talk about and Tony Robbins talk about how they write in their journal. They don't say, I want to have a seven figure business. They actually, um, 
say, I am somebody with a seven figure business and they write it in present terms. And I've heard Rachel Hollis talk about how the stuff that she wrote in her journal five years ago is a hundred percent everything that she's doing today. And like, you know, I don't know the answers or the science behind it. All I can tell you is that I listen to people who are more successful than me. I modeled it and it freaking works. So I'm going to keep awesome. doing more of that, you know? Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Natalie, this has been an incredible interview. It's been the longest interview I've ever done for the podcast. So that's super cool. Uh, thank you for coming on here. I really appreciate it. I want to wrap it up. Uh, I always wrap it up with some rapid fire questions. And then at the very end, um, there's one question that I ask every single guest I ever interview on the podcast. We'll ask it to you there as well. Uh, first, what's your guilty pleasure? Uh, uh, that's a good question. Um, well, I would say, so I love disappearing when I can turn my phone off and like nobody can reach me. So I'll go for a hike or I'll go into the mountains. And I would say for me, like I feel guilty over it because I feel like I should be reachable to my team all the time, but I like need that to reset. So, so you do struggle with disconnecting at times though. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just like catch 22. I love it and I hate it because I love it. Like I wish I could actually sometimes just disappear and move to the mountains. But uh, I, that would really wouldn't fulfill me. I know that. But then at the same time, um, uh, it just sometimes can create more work when you come back home, you know? Yeah. So. No, that makes sense. What is your uh, favorite gift or type of gift that you've ever received? Um, I love having fresh flowers at my house. I love it. In fact, I buy flowers for myself at almost every week. So I would say if somebody brought me flowers, that would be up there. I would say. Oh, I did go skydiving this year. That was a lot of fun too. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Flowers and skydiving. Interesting yeah. combination there. Um, what, what would you say has been the most challenging thing in, in short, I mean, you don't have to go into detail, but like the most challenging thing that you've gone through that grew you, like the thing that challenged you and grew you the most. Um, I would say, I'd say probably my divorce, you know, yeah. that was a really hard it's, you never get married thinking you're going to get a divorce, you know? And it really, um, made me question like, who am I and what do I have to offer and who do I want to become? Like your identity kind of gets wrapped up in your, you and your spouse are one person, right? Not really. But, and so then all of a sudden it opened this platform of like, okay, I have a clean slate now. Who do I really want to become? And like, what kind of person do I want to be? And so in some ways it really grew me and, and it benefited me in that area. And then in other ways, just being a mom, it was really hard, you know, hard splitting time with the kids, hard explaining to the kids, Hey, mom and dad are going to get divorced. Um, hard just doing it all alone. You know, it's like, yeah. I think sometimes people forget I'm a single mom. Like it's hard, you know, it's like, I don't, at the end of the day, you don't have like a person to run ideas by and you don't have anybody to help with, shuffling the kids to soccer practice or whatever, you know? Right. So no, that makes sense. Uh, bucket list dream that you want to like accomplish like uh, an activity or an experience that you want to do before you die. Uh, well, what I want to do in the next year or two is go to Alaska and go salmon fishing. So I love fishing. I love it. I actually hold a couple of state records here in Idaho for like white, a 10 foot white sturgeon and wow. salmon. And, but I've never been to Alaska and I had a trip, planned with Wallace and Ashlyn Nelson deposit paid for everything. And I got a speaking opportunity instead that I couldn't pass down. So anyways, next year or the year after that's what that will happen. All right. Well, that's cool. Okay, cool. Um, favorite food. And then we're done. 
Probably steak and potatoes. Oh, gosh. I love you. <laughs> I love that. Uh, steak is my favorite food of all time. So yep. good. Um, okay. Last question. Question we ask everyone on the podcast. You are fast forward to the end of your life. You're on your deathbed. And everything and everyone, all your businesses, money, everything, all your impact, it's all gone. Like none of it, it's like it never existed. It's instantly snapped away from you. However, you do get to leave every single person that you've ever come in contact with, influenced, touched, anything that's been affected by you, you get to leave them with one final message that they will remember for the rest of their lives. What do you tell them? Um, uh, that's a good question. Hold on, let me think about this for a second. Um, I believe that uh, your potential is nearly limitless and that um, we're the ones that put our biggest restrictions on ourselves. And you know, honestly, I mean, I tell my kids that every single day, I tell them that every day. And so I guess if I could leave that impact on every single person, that's what I do is that you have to be willing to put in the work. Um, but it, at the end of the day, it comes down to your attitude and your effort. And then the potential impact that you can make is nearly limitless. Yeah. On the mind right there. Mindset. Natalie, thank you so much. This has been an incredible interview. I can't wait to go back and listen to it myself. Um, thank you so much so for coming good. on. So many topics. It was awesome. Yeah, we kind of went all over it. I feel like, I don't know, you, you tell me, did we, was it unique? I mean, this is, you know, something that I, I feel like we didn't talk, touch on the typical interviews that I've heard, heard of you. Yeah, no, usually we go into business stuff, which is fine. I don't mind talking about that, but this was kind of, um, you know, expanded a little more outside of the stuff I usually talk about, which I love. Like that's my mindset's my favorite stuff. So this was awesome. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Natalie. Um, I appreciate it. Guys, this has been the incredible Natalie Hodson. Natalie, if people want to find out a little bit more about you, where would be the best place to go do that? My website, Natalie Hodson, which is H-O-D like David, S-O-N like Nancy, uh, .com or Instagram is Natalie Hodson one. And I still manage my own Instagram. So that's probably the best way to actually reach me or my big Facebook page is Natalie Hodson official. Natalie Hudson official. Yeah, your uh, Instagram stories can be very entertaining sometimes. Every now and then I <laughs> pop in there and you went for that marathon the other day. That was hilarious. Oh, I was stupid. That I did so a marathon, no training, zero training. And I actually did my stomach, my guts turned like inside out. I couldn't, I had to call it at 15 miles, but still 15 miles with no training was pretty darn good. I was laughing when your brother took over uh, the camera. <laughs> I actually started literally laughing out loud. It made me, it made me laugh. So Natalie, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Guys, as always, hustle, hustle. God bless. Do not be afraid to think different because those of us that think different are going to be the ones that change the world. I love you all and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you, Natalie. Take it easy, fam. Peace. Yo, what's up, guys? You've been listening to the Think Different Theory with myself, Josh Forty, which I like to call a new paradigm of thinking. And real quick, I got a question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message of positivity and making the world a better place is if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this is out on, that you like my stuff, and that I'm I'm doing something right. So if you could take like three seconds out of your day and subscribe, leave a rating and a review, I would be forever grateful for you. Also, I want to hear from you. I want to know your feedback, your ideas and your questions for future episodes. So be sure to hit me up on Instagram in the DM at Josh 40 or via email contact at thinkdifferenttheory.com.